And welcome, everybody. We are delighted to welcome our guest today on our Wednesday with Kelly Victory, Dr. Spiro Pantazitos. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I've made my brief brush with the Greek language, and uh, uh, believe me, it was brief. Um, so we are, of course, out there on Twitter Spaces. Where we, there, I'm just un. I finally unmuted you guys, so I see you there on Twitter Spaces. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be streaming on all the various platforms. And if you raise your hand, want to come up and ask a question. Uh, depends how into it we get today, whether we'll have time for questions. Generally, Wednesday shows we do not. Uh, Dr. Pantazitos is a neuroscientist at Columbia University who, uh, like many people, saw some data he's going to share with us. And he raised his hand and said, uh, should we be having a mandate of vaccines for all these young people for whom the risk of vaccine might be worse than the risk of the illness. And there is a few other bits of data that sort of uh, rolled in on the heels of that that suggests we're not really doing much even with the vaccine such as it is in that population. Again, it's possible to have a risk-benefit age-stratified age stratified vaccine policy. It's possible. We'll talk about it. Kelly Vectory and Dr. Spiro Pantazitos after this. Our laws, as it pertain to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm, of course, watching you guys on our Restream chat and also on the Rumble Rants, and you guys are already spinning about the Pfizer representative who admitted that they had not tested the virus in terms of uh, protecting against transmission and infection, which, of course, they didn't, guys. Just use your brain for a little second. What they tested was the probability of the, of the vaccine preventing infection, and the initial data was overinflated. They didn't then take those people and take them and see whom they infected. That would have been an ethical problem, and it would have taken a long time to do that. It was not something that they were set up for. They made a presumption. The presumption was if their virus is not getting through, it's going to reduce infection. But of course, there was lots of many, many flaws. That is not the only flaw in the studies they were doing. So we'll get to that and more with Dr. Pantazitos in just a second. Uh, also, I'd urge you all to go take a look at uh, John Campbell. Uh, he's been going wild <laughs> lately. He clearly is very upset with the uh, 
with the YouTube policies, I guess he's gotten a strike or something because he's using that incredibly ironic, sardonic British humor to point out that he's not saying any of these things. He, ro he rolled the tape today, for instance, on the uh, Dutch EU parliament member interviewing the Pfizer rep and him, the EU parliamentarian, pointing out that this is unconscionable, this is possibly criminal, the fact that the government's based their entire vaccine passport policy is on the notion that there was no transmissibility or transmissibility was affected by the vaccine, which of course was never proven. It turned out to be absolutely not true. And uh, he's right. He's right. And then, but of course, he, then he comes back to John Campbell and, and Dr. Campbell goes, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> of course, I can't say this. We're not saying that. YouTube policy absolutely prevents this. This is not our opinion. But you might want to listen to what this man has to say. Really very funny. So let's let's um, bring our guest. And he's an assistant professor of clinical neurobiology at Columbia, a research scientist. Uh, planned to stay locked down through the pandemic. Uh, but because uh, he, like the rest of the people, was believing what was coming out of the government. And uh, he was hoping to stay locked down until a vaccine was developed. That was, in fact, the policy of our government and many governments. But he says he discovered an alarming pattern of adverse events that increased in areas that administered the most doses of the vaccine. Again, he's a scientist. He's a data does data analysis. And he co-authored a study on mRNA-induced fatality rates, uh, data that he says has been suppressed by, boast, by mo most major publications and journal. And I will point out to you, there was a weird phenomenon. It sounds paranoid to say that. If he had said that five years ago, I would have said paranoid. I watched it happen real time with the mask studies. There was a giant Dutch, uh, Danish mask study that everyone was waiting for it to be published in the New England Journal, and then suddenly no, and then no anywhere except Annals of Internal Medicine finally accepted it. And then it was sort of uh, submerged after that. It showed that masks, guess what? Surgical masks don't work. Let's bring in Dr. Pantastos. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Drew. Thank you for having me. Did I frame that? Did I frame that correctly? Is that pretty much your story? Uh, yes. My story, yes. Uh, correct. And, um, Yes. So, um, yeah, basically, um, I co-authored a study on vaccine mortality rates using publicly available data uh, back in October. Um, and that was in response to the mandate from Columbia University, uh, which they announced in April of 2021. Um, and uh, basically, I can show some some of the some slides and some figures from the study to try to explain uh, what it's about, what are the conclusions, um, uh, if that's a good place to start. Yeah, so that's the study, it's on yep. ResearchGate. So it hasn't been, the preprint hasn't been suppressed, but like you said, um, it's been diplomatically uh, rejected by um, at many editors at medical journals that I've submitted it to. Um, it did get mm -hmm. peer reviewed at two journals more recently, uh, but then it was also, um, rejected after the peer review for reasons which I would say are not substantive. So in that sense, it has been uh, suppressed. Um, but the preprint has has gotten over 500,000 views. Um, in the comments section, it sort of serves as an open pre-publication peer review. So I try to address, uh, you know, the lots of critical comments, uh, which are good, uh, means it's, it's people are thinking about it and um, they want to chime in and and um, 
critique. Is there a general theme to the critiques? Is there is there something in specific so, they're zeroing in on that you think has, has substance? Uh, the most substantive critique is that uh, some people claim that it's subject to this something called the ecological fallacy. So the approach that this uses, um, it can it's basically called ecological regression. So what what it's doing is basically taking publicly available CDC data where they publish the number of vaccine doses that are administered in each state for each every day. And then they also publish the total number of deaths, total deaths, as well as the total number of COVID deaths and non-COVID deaths. So you can actually disentangle uh, all-cause mortality from COVID mortality versus non-COVID mortality using these publicly available spreadsheets that anybody can go to CDC uh, website and download these spreadsheets themselves. And they can replicate the analysis they'd like, like to. Uh, the the system ecological policy doesn't apply in this case because we're actually taking uh, total counts of vaccines and relating them, correlating them with the total number of deaths across states. Um, and the term ecological fallacy normally applies when you are taking um, an incidence rate or some type of aggregate average measure mm. across states and then mm-hmm. applying regression Got it. to that. So, so, so that, that so was the closest. Speak, that, yeah, go ahead. So my question is, are the causes of death coming up uh, in any particular silo? In other words, uh, one of the things I was talking to Alex Berenson about his observations about all-cause mortality being up since the end of the pandemic, or sort of we can argue about whether that's a factual statement or not, but that's essentially what he's observing. And uh, he was showing the all-cause mortality was all over the place. I, I thought it was going to be cardiac or stroke, but it was all kinds of stuff. Uh, what were you finding? Um, yeah, so with this, the data that I was looking at, uh, you couldn't actually look at the cause. There was no cause um, associated with it specifically. It was just the number of deaths in each state um, and looking to see whether those are correlated or predicted by the number of vaccines okay. that were administered okay. and, in those states and, the previous month. Was there an age cluster associated with it? Yeah, so you can um, basically look at the CDC subdivides those total death counts and the non-COVID and COVID deaths by age groups. Uh, so you can actually mm-hmm. look at those separately. The problem is the vaccines aren't age uh, specific. They only tell mm-hmm. you the total number of vaccines below age 65 and the number of vaccines above 65. And then I think 18 is another cutoff. So you can get the number of vaccines between 18 and 65 uh, and then from 12 to 18 but nothing that's more fine grained than that, um, and those aren't the same age categories that they that they use for the um, the mortality data. Um, but there are some limitations in the data. But basically, um, you know, I can I can show uh, maybe if we go to the second slide, I can um, discuss a little bit about the European data. So my colleague on that paper, Hervé Seligman, was doing this type of analysis using European. Uh, mortality and vaccination data. So for about 23 countries, he was basically taking, uh, for each week, he was taking the percent increase in vaccinations in that particular country and plotting them against the Z-score normalized mortality uh, for that country as a function of lag in weeks. So you can see in the top panel here, um, what he's doing is just plotting the increase in percent vaccinated 
for week 13 of 2021 versus the z-score normalized mortality uh, for week 21 in this case. Uh, so that's a lag of eight, eight weeks. Um, so in that case, there's a negative correlation across um, those countries. And then on the bottom panel, um, he's doing something similar, but it's for different for week 12 versus week uh, 14. Um, and that's a lag of two. So there you see a positive correlation. So the more vaccinations, um, the more, um, more higher mortality. Um, and so that's so let me, let me, you know, when you finish a paper like this, you stand back and you give your analysis of the strengths and weaknesses of the, of the observations. Right. And, and I remember now reading this study when you, I, I heard about it it seems like it's been out a little while and and I heard about it and I thought the, I had one question that I wanted to ask and this is and if you controlled for this in any way it occurred to me that the way that particular that last slide was um one of the ways you could interpret it or one of the confounding variables could be that older people were more likely to get vaccinated and revaccinated the older you, you know, you might have been selecting for a countries with older populations for whom are at risk and do benefit from the vaccine and are more likely to roll it out. Now, they may still might die and they still might not have great, you know, we can argue about whether the vaccine, how much it benefits them and whether they have excess deaths as a result. But it just, one of the confounding variables seemed to me, it could be just selecting for older populations. Yeah, well, he um, he also looked at age-segmented um, mortality. so. So, but yeah, but the vaccine is not age segmented. You're, you're correct. So the only way that you can really disassociate that, which I do in the U.S. data analysis, um, is temporally. So we know that the mm -hmm. vaccines were first prioritized in the older age groups earlier in the year, and then it wasn't rolled out to the younger age groups until later. Um, so when I, you know, I can show that graph now, or I can... Um, well, I'll finish. I'll there finish showing the next graph. Sorry, if we, yeah, if we go to slide three, um, yeah. So I'll finish sort of summarizing. Yeah, so that mm -hmm. I'll finish summarizing. This is a different graph that's not included in the paper that that's on ResearchGate. This is an aggregate graph um, that's basically showing the if you if you group all of those um, correlations as a function of lag. So week one and week three, week two, week four. That those are both lags of two. And then you look at what are the percentage of correlations that are positive versus negative as a function of lag. Uh, you get this type of plot where um, in the, during the week zero, you see uh, mostly positive correlations, which are adverse, uh, which are shown in yellow. And then right around week five, you see uh, negative correlations, which is the blue. Um, and then there's some, uh, some debate about what that second uh, yellow hump means i i think it might have to do with some confound from the boosters which were given about six months after the, the primary series were given um so like you said there's a lot of confounds with this type of analysis um and there's also covid waves that could be confounding a lot of this analysis but what i think is really neat about this as an analysis is that it does at least the the first five weeks is consistent with um what we know about adverse events from vaccines, usually they happen within six weeks, or that's the accepted risk window. Um, and that's also consistent with what you see in VARES. There's a big, um, most deaths are reported within 24 hours or the first day, and then they typically fall off. Um, and that's not completely explained by propensity to report over time. 
So in that sense, this is informative. Um, but the U.S. data, so the analysis that I contributed um, does control for a lot of these confounds. Um, and I'll go back mm-hmm. to what you brought up before, which is distinguishing um, sort of this age, the fact that the vaccines were given to the older age groups. Um, so if we go to slide four, slide four, so this this is basically um, similar to what we were doing before, where you're looking at a correlation between vaccines on the x-axis and number of deaths on the y-axis, except you're adjusting for prior year deaths. Um, so the, so it's basically um, a way to adjust for the differences in population size uh, and other statewide uh, factors that might affect mortality differences across states. Um, so in this case, um, so the temporal pattern you see is that you see significant, so this is thresholded by um, essentially correlations that survive P less than 0.05 corrected for the vaccination term. So this is only showing those slopes where it survives a, a stringent statistical criterion. And um, when you just threshold and show those slopes that show any significant relationship between vaccination and mortality, you see that earlier in the year, February, March, and then uh, into April, um, it's only the older age groups that you, where you see a significant effect. Um, and then it's not until you hit May um, where you start seeing uh, effects in the younger age groups. So that sort of popped out of the data. Um, and it's not something that, um, you know, that the fact that that pattern sort of emerges uh, to me is it was a signal that, um, you know, this is a real signal <clears throat> because it does match the temporal. Yeah, it's yeah, because it, does, it. it does make sense in terms of the, the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to bring Dr. Victory here in just a second. I, I, I have a the thing I really shake my head about is why what happened to our colleagues? What has gone on here that you can't get published? You can't get into the usual discourse of scientific back and forth, yeah, uh, and critique. Yeah. What 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 you have to be silenced because you have something that looks problematic? What is going on? Yeah, that's something that I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, so when I first had these findings, I was like, oh my gosh, this is I got to get this to the Lancet. They have rapid publishing. They have an in-house statistician. They don't even need to send it out to peer review. They could. The, the data is publicly available. They could have their in-house statistician check it, and in a day, they could see whether it's real or not. And this is something they would want to get published before the booster, the first booster comes out, right? Um, and that, that was that was not. They didn't. Uh, they so I appealed their decision. They initially rejected it, and they said, "Oh, we already have enough COVID submissions. Uh, we can't prioritize uh, this right now." Uh, I appealed it. I said. This is not the, your usual COVID submission that you get. Um, and uh, they essentially said, well, correlation doesn't mean causation. So we don't know that just because these results don't necessarily mean that it's the vaccine that's causing this mortality differences, right? Um, Have you had so any that follow-up? Was somewhat, follow-up uh, data? I submitted, I, I'm sorry? Did you no have follow-up, any follow-up uh, data to try to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in response to that, I did sort of add a whole section about causation and when you view these data in in conjunction with bears in conjunction with all these other independent means of confirming this data and the fact that the actual 
mortality risks that you compute from these slopes line up with predictions that you would get from bears and predictions that you would get from uh, bears uh, deaths and is under reporting factor. But what's fact going those, on here? Why, why yeah, do they so have I, to I put you on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What so I hell? responded. So in a way, and in a way they made, you know, I strengthened the manuscript. I appealed again. I didn't hear back. Um, but I took that manuscript and I sent it to many other journals uh, and got similar, similar responses. So what is going um, on? What's your theory? You said you're thinking yeah, about it yeah, a lot. Yeah, give, give me, give me a thumbnail at least because um, I'm trying to figure out what happened fear. to us. I think, it's, I think there's a fear. I think there's a fear of going against the grain. Um, nobody wants to, uh, well, part of it may be the, the sole profit structure or the financial conflicts of interest between journals and uh, pharma to the extent where they don't want to necessarily publish something that might go against uh, their sponsors or uh so that might be part of it another part of it might be um at the time it was it was very um a little bit too taboo or too uh against what everybody else was saying so i think there's um maybe a fear of publishing something and then um having to retract it for one reason or another uh, so I think I think a lot of it's just peer pressure and feeling um, hesitant to publish something that's going to be so uh, different in its conclusions. Is, is there anything and also so much, that, that's yeah. normally what we seek in medicine and in science? We normally look yep. for the for the outlying yep. sort of uh, papers to see if there's anything there. Is there is there anybody else publishing anything that's showing anything similar? Uh, so there was one paper in Scientific Reports, um, Sun et al., that looked at EMS call data in Israel and found that there was a essentially a 25% increase in cardiac call events, um, specifically following the vaccines, but not the COVID um, waves. So that that was encouraging. And I think if you visit the paper now, it still says that Due to some critiques, the editor is is considering uh, criticism of the paper, but they haven't retracted it. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, so that that that. How, how so about the paper? Time, the, how about the paper that the Florida Surgeon General used to make his decision about uh, vaccine recommendations? Was that? a reasonable i know there are lots of criticisms of it i read it and you know the 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 biggest thing is people aren't comparing against covid which is weird to me they're not but okay what do you say to that yeah yeah well i haven't had a chance to read it uh, i was sent it the other day and i'm not on top of um the literature these days as much as i should be but i haven't had a chance to read it um but um but yeah i don't know if you have any but yeah it's consistent uh, i mean it's I, good it's a signal. Yeah. It's still a, lots of signals yeah. out there yeah. and exactly what the signal yeah. is and yeah. how it's serious yeah. and compared to COVID itself. I mean, this would, I, I can't believe people aren't rushing to answer that question. It's, it's the question of the day. And I, I do not, do not understand. I can't imagine what is causing people to delay and to say peer pressure. I, I don't know that kind of, it's a little too, uh, Broad. Can you tell us what day, yeah. what yeah. what day, and what year this was happening to you? This was in the uh, spring was of twenty. 
Spring of 20? Yeah. Right? Um, summer? Uh, the summer of 20. Oh, I'm sorry. What, what was happening to me? When you were publishing this and when you were getting, and oh, getting uh, yeah, actually, almost a year ago, actually, almost a year ago, uh, 2021, October. So I started, October, I sent okay. the, uh, the first version beginning of October, and then I put the preprint on ResearchGate around the middle of October. So this will be the one. All right, let, we'll take, <laughs> let's take a little break here. Um, I want to bring Dr. Kelly Victory in too. She's got lots of questions for you. We really appreciate you being here and sharing your data with us. And again, we're just trying to get an approximation of the truth, which is something that seems of little concern to anybody these days, I, I which is so nutty to me. And I don't know how you get at the truth without looking at all aspects of something and considering every uh, piece of whether controversial or contrary or confirmatory data. I, I don't understand it. Um, and Kelly will tell you, we were talking just uh, before the mics heated up about someone from the CDC. It was Dr. Paul Offit who you know, made the observation very similar to what you're worrying about and was told uh, his uh, services are no longer warranted. And that seems to be the mode, which is uh, eliminate, silence, marginalize anybody with an alternative position. In the meantime, people may be dying unnecessarily. And that is, I can't even believe those words fall from my lips. Uh, and they may not be, maybe they're not. Maybe we can sort of nail this down and uh, the risk reward is worth it. There seems to be signals suggesting otherwise. We'll take a little break and then we'll bring Dr. Kelly Victory in to talk to Dr. Pentastos. Consumer price index yet again going up, stock market in turmoil. What's our government doing to quell the surge of inflation that is gutting American families? Oh yeah, they're spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. It's time to do something about this. Visit birchgold.com slash true. Now, I don't give investment advice, but you can visit birchgold, B-I-R-C-H, gold.com slash true. Birchgold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Great people with almost 20 years of experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't let your savings lose value. Visit birchgold.com slash true and claim your free no obligation info kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account, and Birch Gold will help you do it. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. For a long time, I've been talking about the holy grail of skincare, Genucel, and the amazing results that both Susan and I have seen. I'm a big fan of Genucel's Silky Smooth XV. It's a moisturizer soaked right into my skin instantly. And with its immediate effects, I saw fine lines and wrinkles visibly disappear within 12 hours. Susan loves Genucel's vitamin C serum infused with the purest vitamin C, absorbs to the deepest layer of the skin thanks to Genucel's proprietary skincare technology. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. And right now, Genucel has bundled my favorite products and Susan's for you to try today for up to 60% off retail pricing. That's right. Save up to 60% on my favorite Genucel products today. 
Just go to GenuCell.com slash Drew to see what's in our bundles and receive an extra 10% off at checkout when you enroll in their personal concierge at checkout. That again is GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. And welcome, Dr. Kelly Victory, of course, ER doctor, uh, board certified, as well as training in public health from Harvard University. And I just fell upon a tweet that I wanted to read really quick which is, uh, Drew, you need to stop being dumbfounded. It's a bad look for you. And he said, it's not complicated. I'm afraid it is complicated. It may be a bad look for me to appear and be dumbfounded, but I don't think I will ever get over this. I think I will remain dumbfounded that we what we've been through. Even once we fully explained it, I will remain dumbfounded the remaining my remaining days on earth. I, I don't think I will ever feel anything other than dumbfounded because this has been so extraordinary from the beginning. I've just been like, what? What is going on here? But uh, Kelly, I'll let you take over for a while. I'm, I'm not pulling myself out completely from Dr. Pent. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly, by the way? Pentazatos? Uh, I, it's, it's, I would say uh, Pantazatos. 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 Nay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. I, I will let uh, Kelly take over. That's okay. <laughs> thanks. Thanks very much for joining <laughs> us. I want to spend a few minutes more talking about your particular study and then move on and talk a little bit about what's going on at Columbia University. Uh, I certainly agree with the Lancet statement and what all of us know as scientists that you're right. Correlation does not prove causation. But the reality is when you add your study, and your analysis of this mortality data to the you know, multitude of other studies that are out there looking at adverse events. Uh, we talked last week about the Pfizer data showing that for every one hospitalization that was prevented, there were 4.3 serious adverse events, with serious adverse events, including death, but uh, death or hospitalization, permanent disability, those sorts of things. And then there are huge numbers of studies really looking at the VAERS data now, the VSAFE data, uh, as well as the studies that prove definitively that the vaccines not only don't stop you from getting COVID, they actually have negative efficacy. At five months, you actually mm. have an increased risk of getting COVID. And people who have three shots are at higher risk than people who have two shots. So when you add all the data together, your your study, I think, is very, very compelling. Uh, and then if you look, you know, what we've done in past years with past vaccines, the swine flu vaccine in 76, they pulled from the market when there were 25 possible associated deaths. You know, back in 1976, correlation also didn't prove causation. 
but they took it seriously. Uh, so what the heck has happened over the last you know, 50 years that all of the sudden, uh, when the correlation is potentially with the death, uh, you know, causation is potentially death, that they aren't taking this seriously. Did you, uh, did you look at all at other adverse events or did you look specifically and only at death? In this paper, uh, just only at death. Okay. Have you spent any time looking at it? Did you have you spent any time looking at the adverse event data? Other, you know, not death being the the most adverse. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've read, um, uh, I've spent some time on the myocarditis data. Um, That was a focus of this um, petition letter for university mandates, since that Mm -hmm. hits the group that's most uh, affected, one of the groups that's most affected by adverse events, specifically myocarditis in young men. Um, so that, yeah, I've spent, um, a little bit of time looking at VAERS reports. Um, and, uh, yeah, that would, I would say that's about the extent of my, um, in terms of looking at those events, uh, in depth. Because I, I thought what what you were going to say that the Lancet and other journals pushed back on is that you couldn't prove that these weren't COVID related because that's always yes. their fallback. You know, this was COVID. Yeah, yeah. So just so just to clarify, so I I, I submitted it to the Lancet, which has a family of journals. So it it's mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that the Lancet would necessarily want to publish it, but they had like twenty other journals in their family that they normally kick the paper to um, when. Uh, if they don't want to publish a certain paper. Um, but sorry, what was your, <laughs> your original question? Well, I just, I, I, I thought that yeah. that was going to be their pushback. And we know from other studies that that's, yeah, for, for, that's not yeah, the case. Yeah. You know. so, since, so since then, now, so I've adjusted the paper now where I specifically referenced the FDAs. Um, you know, before I wasn't saying, okay, look, the FDA is admitted myocarditis is a risk. Subclinical myocarditis could be a cause of a lot of these deaths. Um, I also referenced a previous study in JAMA looking at, uh, that used the vaccine safety data link data set, um, which claimed that the vaccines, uh, if you look in one of their supplementary tables, they actually show evidence for a protective events, a protective effect of the vaccines against stroke, uh, myocardial infarction. Um, These are events that have been specifically related with adverse events of the vaccination. So now all of Mm -hmm. a sudden their supplementary table is suggesting that the vaccines are protective against these events. So there's like a P the P values are very low and the the relative risk is uh, saying that there's a protective effect effect of the vaccines. And so I wrote a comment. This is when I was able to write comments on pub here I said, look, this is this is weird. And the authors don't discuss the fact that their supplementary table is suggesting that the vaccines are protective against the very events that were previously associated with the vaccines through dozens and dozens of case reports. Um, so I, I threw out the notion, was it possible that maybe the labels were switched? Did the group labels get switched and did they somehow, mm-hmm. uh, somehow through some human error potentially um, switch the labels. And unfortunately, you can't actually look at the same data that the authors had for their analysis because the vaccine safety data link, um, they don't provide you uh, 
they provide you with it. You can't actually get the published uh, data set that they used um, with the raw um, the raw data. So, so that's another uh, sort of reason why I don't trust a lot of these papers that do claim um, the, the benefits outweigh the risk and the vaccines are completely safe because the the data the underlying data is not um, accessible. Absolutely correct. And that's one of the things we were referring to, uh, you know, Dr. Paul Offit being sort of disinvited from the FDA advisory panel on these, because the problem when you don't have an advisory panel, when the advisory panel is involved in, in authorizing or recommending these vaccines, then that becomes data of public record. They release that data to the public and people are able to see it. When they don't employ the advisory committee and the FDA does it behind closed doors, it's essentially a tacit way of saying, we're not going to be transparent. We're never going to allow you to actually get your hands on the data that we used to make these decisions. Um, with regard to this, uh, this common uh, argument on their part, on the, the part of those who are promoting the vaccines, that these are COVID-related, you know, there was a huge study looking at 790 people who had COVID prior to the availability of the vaccines. And that showed that that 790,000 people did not have a higher risk of myocarditis than the average population. So these aren't COVID related. These are clearly vaccine uh, related incidents. Um, move over now, talk a little bit about um, your experience at Columbia University, about how it was that you went down the road. I know you were doing this analysis but then you got very actively involved specifically in arguing against the university's uh, vaccine mandate. So talk a little bit about how that played out. Sure, sure. So um, after my preprint came out, um, I had some uh, colleagues at Columbia reach out to me and uh, we sort of formed a group. Uh, it started off as a small group. Okay, what are we going to do about these mandates? Where, where that um, the risks outweigh the benefits and uh, this mandate doesn't make any sense from a medical standpoint. Um, and eventually it grew into a petition letter that um, includes about 140 citations to supporting data published as well as preprints um, and other uh, links related to um, legal uh, FOIA requests to make a lot of this data more transparent and publicly available. Um, so that petition letter um, uh, was, I sent it to the president's office to help uh, raise their awareness about what the data really was saying. And uh, I implored them to um, not necessarily trust the public health agencies uh, when they claim, make certain claims such as the, the, the vaccine benefits outweigh the risks for all ages. Um, and I asked them to uh, rely on global data instead. So um, by uh, providing all those references, I was hoping that they could um, use that information to inform their policy rather than um, trusting, uh, blindly trusting uh, the public I, health I have agencies. A question. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a question to, to your point about blindly trusting the public health agencies. What is so threatening 
I, I this really here, here I am bamboozled again uh, in disbelief. <laughs> what is so threatening uh, about uh, addressing mandates for a vaccine that doesn't prevent infection, doesn't prevent uh, uh, transmission, and might have a risk reward profile that is inadvantageous? Why is that threatening? I don't. I can't understand it. If if we were talking about a seventy-five-year-old, it's an entirely different risk-reward diathesis. Why is it threatening to bring it up for a vaccine that's not doing much? I mean, is I, it's not. We're not going to prevent the original intent was prevent the overwhelming of the healthcare system. We're not going to prevent transmission. We maybe are going to prevent some severe disease, which doesn't occur in this uh, category. In fact, uh, Caleb, I just tax texted you a brand new article that uh, Monica Gandhi just put up on Twitter showing that Omicron is generally mild like we thought. A ton of data comparing it against Alpha and Delta. I don't know if you can throw that up there, Caleb. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it right I'm now. I'm fairly... Okay, and, and I will once again, I will once I, this is this is time for Dr. Kelly's weekly reminder, Drew, that there still is not a single research study that shows that the vaccines decrease the severity of the illness. Not a single study. Fair, fair they enough. Keep saying fair enough. It's, yeah. It hasn't been fair, fair shown enough. by again, anybody. It, it, well, but that, but that those kinds of blank spots in the research are also mystifying for me why they don't just don't do it and see what it shows but but I, this is so phantasmagoric to me it's like i'm in the upside down and thus the thus the weird bamboozled feeling i have all the time it would seem perfectly natural to have a conversation about the risk rewards and whether we're really doing anything here and why does that become not just something that we were going to attack as wrong, because I'd like to hear why it's wrong, but is so threatening to bring up that everyone, the three of us have to be burned at the stake for bringing it up. I'll let Dr. Pantazitos, there's the article I was just re re referencing. Uh, Alpha to Omicron, disease severity and clinical outcomes of a major SARS-CoV, of the major SARS-CoV-2 variants. It's a good study. It's in Journal of Infectious Diseases. And uh, guess what, everybody? Omicron's a lot less virulent, especially in young people. But go ahead, Dr. Pen Penta Pen sure. Penta Pentazit. I'm saying Pentazitos. it wrong again. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So just wanted to clarify, I'm looking at the my title on the bottom of the screen. I am currently on leave, uh, but I expect to be back. But I just wanted to be accurate in case anybody, uh, in case any of the administrators are watching. Um, so, um, so I was just wanted to... Um, uh, sorry, what was the, the question again? Well, the, the question really was. Well, I'm going to ask. A, let me ask a question that just occurred. What, yeah. what do you teach normally? What what classes do you normally teach? Uh, so I do research. I'm primarily research, and I research. and I teach informally. Okay. Uh, I'm mostly brain imaging, so methodologist uh, analyzing brain scans, fMRI scans, structural scans, and some PET scans. Oh, that's cool. Um, Any of the so famous that's, so that's uh, neuroscientists at Columbia? Any of the labs of the famous neuroscientists at uh, Columbia? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm working in the division of uh, Dr. Mann, who, who uh, John Mann, who mostly focuses on suicide. So that's my mm -hmm. my focus mostly is on mood disorder and suicide. And so one of my questions was, I was going to ask you, go ahead, Drew. Yeah. Well, so the question was, why is this bringing these issues up? 
that are the yeah. usual so discourse think, of medicine. Why so? Why yeah. threatening? It's one thing to want to call yeah. it wrong and to argue about why it's wrong, but yeah, threatening—that—that's the thing I can't yeah. understand. So I think I think because um, a lot of people in power had to make difficult decisions uh, early on in the pandemic, and I think they genuinely thought that mandating uh, the vaccine was going to be what brought people back to campus. It was going to be what helped people get through this pandemic. Um, they That's just fine. They were wrong. It hadn't. That's okay. It's okay to be wrong. wrong. Yeah. I was wrong about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I was wrong about right, a lot of right. stuff too, but why is it so, threatening so, to have somebody engage in the normal discourse of science? Right. I mean, I think it's the same type of arrogance that sort of makes some people think that they can make personal medical health choices for everybody especially people that they haven't met is also the same type of hubris that makes them not admit that, that they're wrong. That is that's, a that's the only fascinating thing that and, and uh, packed, a packed statement. I, I, there's a lot packed into that, but I, I don't, I don't disagree does, does with the, you, but go ahead, Kelly. Does the vaccine, is the vaccine mandate currently in place at Columbia university? It is. Um, and I will uh, maybe claim some credit for, a small rollback. Uh, so they actually did mandate the first booster for faculty and staff back in December. Uh, but I think enough of the faculty and staff did not take it so that now it's optional for faculty and staff. However, the booster mm -hmm. is still, the first booster is still mandatory for students. So the students, they didn't announce the student mandate until April, which is well into almost midpoint of, of uh, 2022, when there's no excuse in my mind at that point, there's so much data out already, especially on myocarditis. And um, so I, I don't think that there was, um, so at that point, I, don't, I would not give them as much credit uh, versus early in the pandemic when there wasn't so much data out. Um, and especially given that if you look at their FAQ, Columbia doesn't even mention myocarditis as a risk. They mention the stroke risk with the J&J &J vaccine, but their FAQ, at least in July, they, under safety, they don't mention anything about uh, the, vac the myocarditis risk with the mRNA vaccine. So there's either some miscommunication going on or something. I don't know what's going on um, where, you know, even, even if they took away the mandate, they're still encouraging vaccine in everybody and they're still uh they still haven't updated their guidance to actually actually reflect what we know about the vaccine risks and benefits at this point the data is just so overwhelming uh if you're looking for it if you're not looking for it then you know right so um, so we right so we know yeah. that the we know that the risk from covid uh for people under the healthy people under the age of 30 is so low as to be almost indistinguishable from zero. We know that the risks of the vaccine are significant, not only for myocarditis, but for other uh, things like Bell's palsy and Guillain-Barre and host of other problems. And then on top of it, we know the data I was reporting, which is that the vaccines have negative efficacy. The boosters actually increase your risk of contracting COVID. So when you add all those together, what is the justification? What is the university responding to you when you are imploring them to use uh, international data, you are bringing this information uh, to their attention. What is their argument? 
Right. So they haven't um, responded with an argument. I've, I've tried to engage with them in terms of presenting the data. So actually since the fall of 2021, I, I tried to make myself available. Look, I can, I, I'd like to meet with the decision makers. All I'm asking for is a half hour to present some data, vaccine safety research data that I've been looking at, some of my own original research. Um, and so, so I haven't been able to really receive an argument. Um, so yeah, that's the, um, that's the, okay. um, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you're a neurobiologist and specifically a neurobiologist who's been doing brain scanning uh, and has an interest, especially interest in um, personality changes, depression, suicide, those sorts of things. One of the things that hasn't been reported on much or that many people haven't talked about in terms of adverse events are some of these, what personality changes and psychological changes that have been reported following vaccines. Dr. Uh, Peter Bregan, who is a psychiatrist, uh, has written about it. But do you have you looked into that at all? Do you have any, are you aware of that there's even a conversation out there about specifically personality changes, increases in depression and suicidal ideology that may be related to these vaccines? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I'm actually uh, collaborating with React 19, which is a nonprofit, uh, it's an organization mm -hmm. providing emotional financial support to people who have suffered vaccine injuries. And based on my discussions with them, um, I have heard of, of suicide. So vaccines causing chronic pain and grief, which, re and mm -hmm. which have resulted in a few, uh, suicides. Um, so I know it happens. Um, and, um, I'm actually going to be collaborating with them to do an online brain imaging study. Um, so we will be uh, looking to see if we can see some signals in the brain scans that might help us learn more about uh, what uh, effects the vaccines may be having in people that have persistent neurological symptoms or psychiatric uh, symptoms or um, following the vaccinations. Um, yeah, so I hope, we you, hope to learn more about that. That would be fascinating. If you look at the VAERS data, the reports of new onset seizures, just that specific diagnosis, new onset seizures following COVID vaccines are 32 times higher than any other oh. vaccination that's ever been reported. Um, I have my own theories about what that might be, why, uh, and I suspect it may be related to nanoparticle deposits uh, within the brain causing a, a seizure focus. Um, but that could also explain pers subtle personality changes um, that we see. Sometimes the first uh, symptom, for example, of a brain tumor is not pain, uh, but it's actually a personality change. And I'm wondering if that might be going on. So I think it would be fascinating if you could uh, do some imaging studies and look to see if there are signal changes in people uh, post-vaccination. Are you currently on leave um, from from Columbia? Is that related to your work on these mandates? Um, so I might have. Um, so officially, uh, it's related to my being not compliant with their vaccine policy. So the first year, um, last year, I was 100% remote 
because I work computationally and I can log into my computers and do my work uh, remotely, um, I did not apply for an exemption. And uh, their statement, their actual guidelines published uh, specifically said that the policy applied to people who are going to be present on campus. Um, and that was in the initial email that they sent. Um, so they didn't publish anywhere that um, the policy applied uh, to people who are 100% fully remote, um, nor did they say that the consequences would be that they would not be able to get their appointment renewed or that they would lose their employment. That was never written anywhere in the policy. Uh, the only consequence they mentioned was that uh, you would not be able to gain access to campus because uh, you need a little pass. Um, you need to show that you're compliant. You either get vaccinated or you get an exemption, and then you, you have a, a program on your phone that you can then use to access the buildings. Um, so uh, th there is one frequently asked question where they say the policy applies to remote workers, but that wasn't emailed to everybody, and that wasn't until later on in the year uh, where they put that up. Um, so it's like I'm getting an, an affidavit. They, they didn't reach you. It's like an affidavit. Didn't quite get you. <laughs> I, I have a question. Did you, um, given you've been yeah, thinking a yeah. lot about this, have you, have you been contemplating the possibility of taking some other booster other than the, than the MRNA vaccines? I know obviously uh, Novavax is around. Uh, again, our friend Monica Gandhi, infectious disease doctor, went to India and took Covaxin <laughs> as a way of take, getting a whole viral uh, sort of immune response. Uh, what about you? Right. Right. So the problem is those were engineered for variants that are no longer in circulation. So it doesn't make any sense um, to get a primary series. They're still mandating primary series and that virus is long gone. And I still don't understand the bivalent. Why would you need to, to make right. a, a vaccine against the, the, the previous? Yeah, maybe it's a concern. It will come yeah. back. You know, there's some resurgence of Delta or maybe. something. I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, it sounds seems know. paranoid to me. I agree with you, but but yeah. but I'm asking but really COVID. sort of a pragmatic question yeah. to just meet their need by taking something oh. that you think might have less risk. Is that something you've contemplated? Um, I so I've I've had COVID before, so there shouldn't be any need. I mean, that's the best right. form of of immunity. Mm -hmm. um, so I I mm -hmm. guess I, I don't know if you. Yeah, I, I don't know if you call it too principled or, or whatever, but I, I, I have a maybe a, I have a little bit of oppositional defiance. Uh, if it's a good, <laughs> if it's a good cause, if it's a good I cause, applaud. yeah, um, for good, so for yeah, good if reason, it's a good cause. Because yeah. uh, if I if I capitulate to this, then you know, I can I might as well lie over in my back and whatever, whatever else they want to do to employ. So I, I feel like somebody. I'm going to ask you up. again. Um, yeah. I, I'm going yeah. to ask you again. You, you seem to have thought a lot about what you're standing up to and what this is. Can you help me understand <laughs> what you're standing up against a little bit better? I, I yeah. Are there just people that like to exert their will on others? I, I can't quite get my head around that. Is it fear of being wrong and then accepting liability for that? What, what do you? What's your theory? What do you think has happened yeah. to us? No, I think. I think that's. I think that's what you just said was good. Maybe there's a hesitancy to admit anything um, that they may have made a wrong choice is then, okay, what, how do you write those wrongs? I mean, who's accountable? How do you, uh, also, how do you tell all the people that you sort of 
almost right. coerced into getting vaccinated so that they could keep their job. Well, that they, we just, what, what we, but we them? just had this, uh, we just had uh, the uh, sort of astonishing, not even astonishing to me, matter of fact, revelation in the EU, EU parliament that uh, Pfizer had no data on the vaccines affecting transmissibility. And the transmissibility was what was used as the legal rational rationale for passports. And that passports caused marginalization, job loss, discrimination on a mass scale like never before. And uh, nobody says, uh, hmm. I guess we shouldn't have done that. Or maybe we thought we were doing the best we could or anything, just nothing, which I find, uh, you know, and, and, and Pfizer's response is they were doing the best they could at the quote, speed of science, the speed of science. Kelly, can you tell me what the speed of science is? I'm not yeah. sure I understand what that is. We're all three of scientific well, training. What was the speed of science? Where did we learn that? Yeah, it, as I've said from the very beginning, I really think the issue is they can't. They have dug their heels in so far. The The ramifications, Drew, of them acknowledging, coming out and saying, we were wrong. And all of you who lost your livelihoods, lost your military careers, ended up with profound injuries, died, have myocarditis, whatever it is, we were wrong. It would open up a floodgate the likes of which I don't think you can really get your arms around. They've already undermined the entire confidence, uh, the security that people have in public health. Uh, that, that they will never regain in my lifetime. They will never regain it. Um, and God help us when we have the next event, because there will be a next event and no one's going to listen to what we have to say at all. But I think the repercussions are just so overwhelming. Um, with regard to what it would mean, not just financially, but in terms of people uh, really potentially being held uh, criminally liable, um, that that I think um, I don't see them really ever admitting it. What I want to know um, is, is you, your experience. You're on a college campus, a college university campus, and I know you don't teach a class uh, regularly with with them, but I assume you interact with young people. What's the what? Where are the students on this? Have they bought? Did they drink the Kool Aid? Um, no, oh, actually, yes. I, I've done oh, yes. a lot of under. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, uh, you know, I did uh, circulate the petition amongst uh, undergraduate students, so I have a fair amount of um, of uh, signatories who are undergraduate students, um, mm -hmm. and uh, one, some. In the U.S. at Columbia, yeah, but you know um, so what I mean. They, they, they're not foreign. They're not yeah. foreign students because I, I, I was, you know, when I traveled to Europe eighteen months ago, uh, the French youth were standing up to their government for exactly right. exactly this issue, and, and at home at the same time, I was reading headlines that the students were man demanding more mask wearing, demanding more, you know, marginalization of the unvaccinated. That was our student population. Yeah. Are they coming right. around? Uh, I hope so, slowly but surely. Um, I think it's just a matter of time. And uh, I try to leave some wiggle room for the administration to, um, you know, I, I have faith. I have faith that, that things will write themselves in time. Yeah, they'll adjust course. And, um, you know, I understand that from their perspective, um, they, you know, they... I'm sure they have pressures that they have to face, um, and I'm sure they're they're trying to uh, uh, 
and and I I do, do feel like I have to put the uh, our dis, our disclaimer up. Uh, Kayla, put the disclaimer up because we we are not saying anything different than what the CD says. But they're safe and effective, and a certain age group definitely be taking them and get all boosted up. Uh, safe, effective, reduce your risk of severe illness. Although Kelly had pointed out that the risk has not been proven yet. It's been my experience that that is probably true. And again, I dealt with a lot of elderly patients. That's my predominant population right now. And I'm boosting them all up and they've all done very well. And I've used a lot of Paxlovid. The, the, the question we are asking, the really what we are addressing today is not that position. What we are one, we are... <laughs> What we are asking is a basic question about vaccine therapy. Is there a way to risk stratify people for the vaccine so we understand what we're doing? I don't give yellow fever vaccines to everybody uh, at the junior college down here because they aren't going to sub-Saharan Africa. I don't give shingles vaccines to three-year-olds. I don't give pneumovax to 12-year-olds. There, There is a age stratification and a risk stratification in all vaccine therapies I've ever seen. Why this one doesn't get to have that even have the conversation about what the risk well, stratification it, it, might be. Forget ought to be. Well, might be. That, Thank you. It, well, <laughs> Andrew, well, Andrew, importantly, it changes over time. While I agreed with you early on, early on, I mean early on, that you could have made the argument that a 75-year-old in a nursing home would benefit from this experimental vaccine because their risk of mm -hmm. a severe outcome was so yeah. great. Fast forward October 2022, that calculus has changed. The variants predictably have become more contagious and less virulent. And we have treatments. As predicted, and, for, and we've, we have a huge number of readily available, safe and effective treatments. So mm -hmm, for me, mm -hmm. I will go on the record saying I wouldn't recommend these for anyone in October 2022. And, 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 and I think and, and I would say it's good. And I, I applaud you for your position. I have a different position, and this is how doctors normally relate to each other. Normally, that's why that's why there's something exactly. called second opinions. Doctors differ in their opinions. Right. I, I still feel mm, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it, but I, I don't, I don't think your opinion is insane. I don't think you need to be silenced. I don't, I don't blame you for your opinion. I know why you have that opinion. I just arrive at a slightly different place given my experience. That's all. And in the state of California, I assume you're aware, uh, uh, doctor, that, that in the state of California, they passed, uh, you know, AB 2098, which now criminalizes my my position. Uh, I can actually lose my medical license um, and be sanctioned and fined and all sorts of other uh, things burned at the stake, probably um, <laughs> for for daring for daring to have this outrageous medical opinion. It's uh, luckily New York might not be far behind, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's true. But he's not, he doesn't have that, the license problem that we have. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's for medical doctors. Although soon, you know, uh, they will, it, it is, it reminds me a bit of uh, Maoist China, you know, where they, they first uh, rounded up all the scientists and, and uh, people who were opposing the, the government. Uh, they were the first to go. So. Um, I think scientists. Kelly's gone all the way there, ladies and gentlemen. I think my wife is, has a similar kind of feeling about it. Susan, are you okay? Is that, does that does that inflame you in some way? <laughs> I mean, I've been watching this from the beginning, a non-doctor, and I've seen like exactly in 2021, uh, we were listening to other people talk about 
how they were getting censored and not getting their information out there and predicting what is here now today. And I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Zev Zelenko in, in may he rest in peace, but he's smiling down on us today because he was right. And, um, but it, it's just so sad that even in a college setting that they were getting shut down, you know, it's not, it's not right. I mean, in and I'm glad that you guys are all able to agree somewhat here. So that's <laughs> well, all. We're, we're, well, at least we can have the conversation. That's the important thing, and that's really what well, and it's I always applaud, been about. Yeah, I, I, you know that. You know, my you saw in my little my little open that I am all about the risk benefit calculation. I preach it night and day, and so I applaud you taking this on on behalf of an age group that is largely young and healthy. Uh, and the idea of mandating these things for that particular age group, that it just, it fails the risk benefit calculation. So I give you a yeah. lot of credit. I'm sure you've taken unmitigated uh, flack for, for doing this. And, and I'm suspecting you've had some a personal and professional uh, risk in, in doing so. But what you're doing is important. Uh, and I, I give you a lot of credit I for agree. it. So thank you. And hopefully they come around, like you say. Hopefully they do. And thanks for opening up here with us because we're we're trying to shine a light on it. So yeah. it's mm -hmm. a, it's not easy because you are afraid of of losing your job or having pushback. So well, and and I get you know none of us are trying to take extreme positions, even though Kelly went all right. all the way to the Cultural Revolution. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, God bless her. But, but, uh, That's but my jam. I'm just really pointing out that to. I went to a liberal liberal arts education, Drew. Just trying to. Be, I, I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware. Just... And, 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 yeah, and but and then, by the way, had you said that three years ago, I'd go, "Come on!" Now, as I'm trying to make sense of all this craziness, like, man, that's just that's an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. How far we have come. Yeah, Dr. I'm just going to say pentazitos again. I can't penta, penta, <laughs> pentazatos. 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 Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh, or Spiro. Uh, Spiro. Dr. Spiro, is there, is there anything else we should be addressing Spiro. here? We, have we left? Have we gotten through most of the, the, the material here? Uh, I think so. Um. I oh I could I could discuss a little bit about um, where those claims the former president is claiming that the vaccines have saved uh, millions of lives. Um, Go ahead. So I could I could talk Please. a little bit about uh, how those so those those claims come from modeling studies um, where they basically uh, try to estimate a generative model where they they basically assume a lot of parameters and they fit certain curves to the actual COVID deaths or excess deaths mm -hmm. in each country. And then they simulate what would happen if the vaccines were taken away. Um, and then they basically get a, a, this computer generated uh, curve that they then subtract from the, uh, the actual death curves. Um, and then they say, oh, look, all of these deaths would have happened if the vaccines weren't around. The problem is those numbers never get validated. And uh, there's a lot of flawed assumptions that those, those models use, for example, how long the vaccine immunity lasts and how effective the, the vaccines are. Those are all parameters that are can that affect the the um, the calculation. So, um, so I so I have some on my research gate. I have some commentaries where I go in depth in 
uh, one of the more famous modeling studies that came out in the Lancet infectious diseases, where they claimed the vaccine saved uh, 14 to 20 million lives. Um, so that's one of my things that I'll plug. So if people want more information, if they want to learn more about um, why those modeling studies are dubious, um, they can visit my research gate and get a breakdown of um, how those modeling, where those modeling studies uh, misspecify certain parameters and how that misspecification gives you inflated numbers of uh, vaccines, of lives that were averted by the vaccines. Because um, it's very difficult to argue if you say, oh, the vaccines uh, have this and this much mortality risk, someone will say, oh, but vaccines have saved this many million lives worldwide. This is published in all the high impact journals. Um, you know, people hear that number and, and they say, oh, well, vaccine, you know, everybody should get vaccinated uh, because of that. So it's important, I think, to increase understanding about where those numbers come from and uh, so that people can understand. What, what again were the assumptions that were wrong? Um, so there's so the one with this one study, um, it assumed, for example, that the vaccine lasted for a full year. That was one of the default parameters that the vaccine induced immunity mm. uh, lasted for a that's full wrong. year. Um, that's wrong. Um, and then uh, staying, uh, and actually some of the, so there's another, so yeah, that's one example. Um, the other wrong assumption is that the lethality of the virus, other than, other than adjusting for Delta relative to wild type and alpha, the models don't adjust don't uh, assume that the virus changes lethality or infectivity, right. only the transmissibility. So they assume right. that the transmissibility, the time varying transmissibility is what accounts for the excess deaths. They don't include mm. other contributors of excess deaths, like deaths of despair. So the lockdowns that may have increased drug overdoses or suicides um, or uh, deaths from the vaccine. So they don't uh, uh, include parameters that account for those excess deaths they assume all the excess deaths are coming from covid and when you assume right. make that assumption you right. force your model to, to in order to fit the excess death curve you force your model to fit free parameters that you don't validate you fit the excess curves the output you actually get a good fit but um um sorry yeah i don't have slides for this i should have i should have included some um, okay. Uh, we can talk sorry. again sometime. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the, I, uh, didn't, I didn't mean to distract. I put a note up on his screen. I didn't mean to distract you. Sorry to let him know I can. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, so I don't know if I'm trying to verbally explain it, but basically, um, you have so many free parameters, you can make any model fit any kind of data that you want. Um, the problem is how do you validate those numbers? And in this case, you can't because they're they're predicting a scenario that never happened, which is a case where vaccines right. weren't mass administered. And they're saying, oh, right. this computer simulation says this many deaths would have happened if the vaccines were, weren't around. Um, but it's 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 because of a misspecification in the model um, that's basically leading to that those estimates. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's, so there's another uh Lancet Infectious Diseases article that looked at VAERS, and they had a statement, uh, the vaccine benefits outweigh the risks, and they, they cite three papers, three modeling studies. Um, so if you'll notice that the risk-benefit studies always compare 
COVID hospitalizations averted versus one specific mm -hmm. adverse event from the vaccine. So they say, well, if we give this many vaccine doses, we'll avert this many hospitalizations. If we give this many vaccine doses, we'll have this many events, certain uh, myocarditis, for instance, or uh, stroke events. Um, the problem there, there's several, there's so many problems, but the problem is you're kind of comparing apples and oranges, hospitalizations averted um, versus an adverse event. It'd be more straightforward if you just compared the actual adverse events between infection, natural infection versus the vaccine. That would make for a more straightforward risk-benefit analysis. When you're looking at uh, hospitalizations averted, um, there, there's a problem. Those modeling studies make other you know, if you look in those papers, uh, one of the assumptions that they make is that only the unvaccinated transmit the virus. So this was early on before they knew right. that vaccinated could also transmit the virus. So you actually read those studies and you see all these assumptions. You're like, wait a minute, this doesn't, this should not go into well, the Well, that's a massive, a massively wrong assumption right there. That's the whole bit. Uh, I can't, yeah. can't believe they even published that. Yeah, well, so the Lancet There are tremendous numbers of confounding variables that they didn't in include, including the fact the number of people who had natural, you know, when they're determining how effective the vaccines were at preventing death, they didn't take into account natural immunity or the fact that many people were treated with medications, the I word and the H word specifically when they had COVID and that that's actually what prevented the death, not the subsequent vaccination and on and on. So the, you know, dubious is the, is the kindest word, uh, Dr. Spiro, that you could use about their their data du dubious at best well just the just yeah, the sorry, not I, I understanding I, the vaccine didn't prevent transmission just that one fact should have right. disqualified the study completely as the fundamental assumption yeah. of the study well, those, is those the studies, vaccines prevent yeah. transmission yeah i mean those those studies were rapidly published through the cdc's only i think the mmwr last year mm. this lancet study that was that came out earlier in the summer of this year referenced those studies which were outdated saying oh the vaccine benefits outweigh the risk well they they referenced these these modeling studies that were flawed um and and uh they also downplayed sort of the VAERS data in certain ways uh so that's mm -hmm. I, I put a lot of that into the, the petition letter as well uh to try to help people see how um you know these these journals can also be a source of Misinformation, if I'm allowed to say that, I don't yeah. know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and yet, uh, yeah. and yet, they establish the standard of care against which AB 2098 prevents yeah. me from speaking. I'm going to speak to the board soon, so I, I can't wait to bring up stuff like this. So we better wrap this thing up. Uh, as always, Drew's keeping notes. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Pentazatos, Dr. Spiro, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> so sharing your, your research with us and for uh, risking your uh, your. Uh, your hide with us just by discussing things that we would normally in the normal course of scientific discourse just have conversations about that we've been forbidden to have for quite some time now and thank goodness yeah, we can it's start nice to that have we can them. speak up and like i think and i hope it causes no ill for anybody kelly as always thank you i'll, I'll give kelly last thoughts no, just I, again, I would just say I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, we we need people out there doing exactly the sort of thing you're doing, which is having the guts to bring the data, say, here's what I'm seeing. Here's the data as I analyze it. You're a career scientist. Um, you, you're not somebody who just is pushing back against mandates. You're pushing back based on 
what the data are showing us, and they are irrefutable. And for all we had to hear over these last two plus years about follow the science, follow the science, here you are following the science, bringing it to the attention of people who should care. Uh, and I hope that you don't give up and, and are successful because uh, you will go down, I promise you, on the right side of history. I think she's right. I think you're right. Uh, and uh, it's never Thank been you so fun much. It's to been there. stand up to this kind of thing. But uh, I, I'm seeing lots of requests for more here on the Restream. And I, I know several of you have your hand up over on the Twitter spaces. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to Locals. Susan, what, Caleb, is it Locals.com slash Dr. Drew? Uh, yes. yes, that's correct. Yeah, it's local, Locals.com slash Dr. Drew. And I will put up a... Uh, video and chat there. Just go to my page, uh, locals.com slash Dr. Drew, and you can uh, put up an active chat where you can ask me questions and I'll answer them in real time on video there. In about 10 minutes, I'll head over there. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna try something new. And then the locals, if you want to join locals, go on to locals.com slash Dr. Drew and support the show. And then we'll try to get to your questions. Well, I will get to them today. Today I will because uh, I'm we're going to we'll try to do more of these special locals little events here. And we'll be uh, taking more questions tomorrow as well. So. Yes, so I'll be in here taking questions on tomorrow. Twitter Spaces. And uh, next week, uh Dr. Kelly and I bring in Vinay Prasad who has been uh on fire on Twitter recently and, uh, and I I never I he everything he says and thinks about is spot on as far as I'm concerned, but uh, I'm interested to see if Kelly agrees with that. And he, uh, no, he I, has I, been, uh, let's see, he's been on fire lately about masking young people and vaccinating, you know, very young people. He's just been, it's just, he's been in, incensed about the way the FDA is functioning. Uh, well, I, he has my approval on that. I agree 100%. You know, I've been screaming from the rooftops about the insanity of the masks and social distancing and uh, all of this, yeah. the, the completely unnecessary fact that we, we never needed to close schools and on and on. So yeah. he and I are in lockstep on that. And, and I think he, um, he will bring some additional yeah. data to the table and really looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, that'll be good. It, it, just two quick things. Again, I when I when the school closure thing jumped out at me as such such a vividly inappropriate policy was when I was watching the Ukrainian women with their children escaping into Poland and they'd throw a microphone in everybody's face and the women would go, Yeah, it's terrible. The men are staying behind and fighting. What this guy's doing is terrible. The kids have been out of school for two weeks. Two weeks. We've got to get them back in school. It's been two weeks. And I, and I jumped out of me. I'm like, yes, two weeks is a long time when you're in high school or something, for God's sakes. And uh, they put them in Polish-speaking schools. You know, and they had to learn a new language and get to school because they needed to be educated. Such an important thing. And, of course, developmentally as well. Well, it, it will be decades before we truly understand the profound impact of that, um, you know, atrocity. Truly, there are kids who, who will never catch up. There are many kids, interestingly, um, that I talk to personally who ended up not going back to school. Uh, they're kids who were juniors and seniors in high school in particular. They were out for a long period of time. They just said, after, two, after a year and a half, they said, I'm not going back. I've gotten a job now. I've gotten a job. So these are kids who would have graduated from high school who didn't and never will mm -hmm. because they just mm -hmm. gave up and said the heck with it. Um, the profound mental health issues, psychosocial issues, the fact that, I mean, they lost, yeah. you know, these kids, there was no such thing as, quote, virtual learning. Uh, these kids, you know, missed just fundamentally 
two full years of their educations, and you don't just catch that up overnight. Terrible. It's going to take a long, absolutely long time. terrible. And a reminder that Kelly is it was a psychologist became, before she became a physician, and then my number yep. two point was Kelly was the first person I heard declare, as you said, long ago that this social distancing thing was invented Bullshit. out of whole cloth. <laughs> and now we have actually, yep. you and I have interviewed, if you guys want to, anyone wants to go back and listen to Paul Alexander, he was in the room when this six foot thing was invented out of whole cloth. And he, they were trying to decide between 60 feet and six feet. And they had no had no right. reason to choose either, and I've since talked to another yeah. person who was in the White House, in the administration at that time, and it confirms what Dr. Alexander had told us. So, anyways, we're going to send everybody over to locals.com/slash/drdrew yep. if you have any questions or you want to uh, have a private one-on-one. Uh, private one-on-one. Yeah, mm. with Drew. Kelly, <laughs> you want to join us? I, I, we don't have that. I wish. Yet. I don't know I, if we do. No, we don't. Caleb, well, do we? I, no. Yeah, I, I would love to do Kelly's it, but busy. I, I cannot. I got my. I, well, we'll do it on well, another day. With, with, yeah, I would love horses. to do it another day. Once we but you have to be a supporter in order to get in on the chat. In. So yeah, it's horses. I knew it. I could see it in your eyes. I, I know the we have to go and get the horses back. But anyways, they <laughs> so, start they Dr. start Spiro kicking too. the barn door there, but. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank him again too. He, yes, he was thank you, Doctor. Yes, excellent job. See you next Wednesday and also tomorrow for questions if you wish. Just question show. And then as I said, in about 10 minutes, I'll be over at locals.com slash Dr. Drew. Kelly, thank you and thank you all. We'll see you tomorrow. And don't miss next, next Wednesday week. with Vinay Prasad. See you. Thanks, Whoops. guys. We're back still. Here we are. See you guys. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more